This is People Every Day. Coming up, why Jennifer Aniston is drawing a hard line when it comes to the unvaccinated people in her life. Plus, from Kanye and Lauryn Hill to Streisand, it's New Music Friday. And we go inside the fascinating Murdoch family murder mystery. It's August 6th. Well, happy Friday to you all. This is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, TGIF and all that good stuff. Later in the show, I go full on true crime with People senior writer Steve Helling, who takes me into People's cover story about this wild murder mystery that's developing down in South Carolina. It's surrounding the shocking deaths of two members of the super wealthy Murdoch family and a community that can't decide if they loved or loathed the whole clan. There's so many secrets. So stay tuned to hear all about that. Now, I would say I hope everyone gets outside and has some fun this weekend. But with everything that's going on with the Delta variant and latest COVID-19 surge, before anything else, I hope everyone stays safe. The ongoing pandemic is top of mind for a lot of people right now, including the woman at the center of the first story I want to get into today, Jennifer Aniston. She took to Instagram last night to respond to criticism she faced about cutting unvaccinated people out of her life. So this all started when she opened up to InStyle magazine for their September cover story and revealed she was eliminating people from her friend group due to their vaccination status. She told InStyle, there's still a large group of people who are anti-vaxxers and just don't listen to the facts. It's a real shame. I've just lost a few people in my weekly routine who have refused or did not disclose whether or not they had been vaccinated. And it was unfortunate. It's tricky. She said, because everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but a lot of opinions don't feel based in anything except fear or propaganda. So when she put this out there in the magazine, a fan responded and said, you know, if you're vaxxed, why worry about someone else? If you're taken care of, what's what's the problem? And Aniston just clapped back yesterday. She wrote, because if you have the variant, you are still able to give it to me. I may get slightly sick, but I will not be admitted to a hospital and or die. But I can give it to someone who does not have the vaccine and whose health is compromised or has a previous existing condition. And therefore, I would put their lives at risk. That is why I worry. We have to care about more than just ourselves. And and so Aniston is not the first famous person to set these types of boundaries. CBS This Morning anchor Gail King said to Dr. Anthony Fauci that she wasn't inviting unvaccinated family members to Thanksgiving this year. She said, I have this problem with some members of my own family, which I'm now going to ban for Thanksgiving vacation. That's how strongly I'm taking what you're saying. I just feel like we're all having similar conversations in our families right now as the pandemic continues to rage on and the number of people who are dying in hospitals, uh, the overwhelming majority of which are unvaccinated, reports say, unfortunately continues to climb. I truly hate to see any more divisiveness out there, but this is one of the most important issues of our time. All right. Well, it is New Music Friday here on People Every Day. But before we get into what all you should be bopping along to this weekend, I'm about 10,000 miles from Japan and I can't get the Olympics off my mind. (laughs) That was a little Shawn Mendes, if you didn't know. Uh, Here is People's Adam Carlson reporting from the ground in Tokyo with today's Olympic News Sprint. 
Okay, so I have about 60,000 things to cover and only 60 seconds, so let's get started. The big thing you might have missed overnight is the track and field news. Allison Felix is now officially the most decorated female track and field Olympian ever. She won a bronze in the women's 400 meter, and this is a big deal most of all because she was back at her fifth, count them, five Olympics for the first time since she gave birth to her daughter Cammie in 2018. That was a pretty difficult pregnancy, and Allison is now quote-unquote old for an Olympian. She's in her mid-30s, but she's been really open about fighting. She called it a fight to get back here. And the other racers on the track, you could just hear kind of their appreciation for her legacy when they spoke as well. Elsewhere on the track, you had a dramatic kind of photo finish from Paul Chalimo when he lunged slash dove across the finish line to get a bronze in the men's 5,000 meter, which is a back-to-back medal for him after a silver and 2016, which he dedicated to his brother, uh, Alberto, who died earlier this year. It's kind of a tribute to him after what he described as a really tough year. Um, Looking ahead to the weekend, we still have a few more big medal matches to come before the closing ceremony. We have the men's baseball gold medal match going up against Japan. Like I said, we have those last track events, and then we are finally getting some details about the closing ceremony. We'll have Johnny Weir and Tara Lipinski uh, giving their color commentary, and um, we'll see what other surprises Tokyo has in store as they send us all off here after a very eventful two, two and a half weeks. Thank you, Adam. Okay, music time. So Kanye had another Donda listening party in Atlanta last night. And I'm kind of bitter because I feel like I went to the dress rehearsal a few weeks back. (laughs) I didn't get any hundreds of dancers or Kanye flying through the air like he did last night. He even did new songs no one had heard of. I guess his living in the stadium for the past few weeks got his creative juices flowing even more. Uh, What was a repeat was the fact that Kim Kardashian and their kids turned out yet again. And yet again, she seemed to coordinate with her ex as they both wore black. Last time, you might recall, they were in red. Also, fans are still patiently waiting for that album to drop. (sighs) Waiting. That said, let me quickly take you through some new music that is out there right now. Barbara Streisand is back with a new collection called Release Me Too. And there's a slew of fun features from Willie Nelson to Kermit the Frog. (laughs) I love me some Streisand, y'all. She had me at Yentl. Of a different generation, there's young Grammy winner Alessia Cara, who just dropped her new song, Feel You Now, that she wrote for the title sequence of the new anime Blade Runner series. Ask the kids. It's all about anime right now. And I love Alessia's voice on this. It's all haunting and emo. Now, something that's totally in my wheelhouse. Today, Nas released his album, King Disease 2, and on it is a feature with Miss Lauren Hill, you guys. The last time they collaborated was 25 years ago on the song, If I Rule the World. Imagine that. Oh, I love that song. (laughs) This time, they are on his song called Nobody. And Hill, who is one of my favorite rappers, is making it plain about fame and making music on her terms. Take a listen. Put their words on me and they can eat them now. That's probably why they keep on telling me I'm needed now. And last but not least, the Black Eyed Peas are back with an energetic new single featuring Saweetie and Lele Pons called Hit It. Hit it. I'm on that romance 
The Black Eyed Peas never say die, man, nor should they. This new song is fun for the weekend, inside or outside, but outside with a mask on. <laughs> Next up, people Steve Helling and I go inside the latest murder mystery gripping the nation. What happened to the wealthy South Carolina Murdoch family and who's to blame? Stay tuned. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. guys, there is a new crime story that's on the cover of People this week, and it's pretty fascinating, involving two very wealthy people found dead at a lodge. And today I have the best guy here to help me dig into this, People senior writer and host of the show Murder Made Me Famous, Steve Helling. So Steve, first, can you quickly introduce us to the family that's at the center of this? You guys interviewed a local farmer who I think sums them up pretty well. Big family, old money, new drama. So who are the Murdaws and where are they from? So the Murdaws, they live in what's called the low country, which is kind of rural South Carolina. And they're one of those families that has basically owned the county for years and years. The Murdaws had an uninterrupted 85 year stretch where some member of the family was a solicitor, which we know as a district attorney. Um, you know, they had all these businesses, they had money, they had law firms and more than money. What they have is power and influence and status. So this is a very rich family in a rural area in the South, and they are the ones who are in control of their entire county. So what did they do with that power? Well, it depends on who you asked. Some people say, oh, they were wonderful, charitable people. Other people said they did whatever they pleased because they had money and they couldn't get in trouble. So, you know, there are a lot of instances where we know that, you know, some of the, the Murdaws had two sons. Um, those sons both got in some sorts of trouble at different times. And it just kind of went away because you know, their dad was so influential, um, you know, and everybody there knows this family. Okay. So let's get into the, the, the heart of this, what happened most recently, because it seems like there's a, a numerous different crimes circling around this family. But on June 7th of this year, Alex Murdaugh, who is the patriarch and heir to this legal dynasty, found his wife Maggie and son Paul shot to death at their hunting lodge in Islandton, South Carolina, which is about 65 miles outside of Charleston. So what did Alex Murdaugh say happened and what have investigators since discovered? You know, uh, what 
uh, Alex said happened was that he discovered his wife and his son who were shot execution style and they were, you know, dead outside by the dog kennels there in on the property. So, of course, the police come. The, the interesting thing is that even on the 911 call, the, the dispatcher says, don't don't touch the bodies, don't touch anything. And then he says, well, I, I already did. I touched their bodies just to see if they were dead or not, which, you know, there is that's an understandable mm-hmm. explanation. But, you know, when police showed up, then they started investigating the scene. And they found all sorts of strange things that um, really leave us with a mystery. So Maggie and her son, Paul, were both shot to death, but they were shot by two different guns. So unless it's one person with two guns or two people with each with a gun, which seems a little bit more likely just logistically, you know, it, it seems like we're not necessarily just looking for one gunman. We also know that, um, you know, police have found her cell phone, but her cell mm-hmm. phone wasn't on the property. To describe how the property is, I went to the property. You know, there's a big brick gate and, you know, wall. And so the cell phone was actually found outside that brick wall. So it seems as though it was taken and then ditched, uh, not that it was just dropped by Maggie at the scene. Got it. And so there's redacted pages of an investigation relating to all this. So they were released in June. What what details did we get from those? Yes. I mean, the thing about redaction is that, you know, you're, I read a lot of those at this job, as you know, and you're, you're putting together a puzzle. What are they doing? What's, yeah. You know, what's, what's the part we can't see? What we do know is that they did impound the, the family car because there was supposedly some sort of um, uh, evidence there. We don't know whether it's inside the car, outside the car, tire marks. We don't know what it is. You know, we also know that the thing I told you about the cell phone, which they think is is strange. And then they describe the different kinds of guns that were used in the process. So, you know, we're, we're really um, looking through that and trying to get some clues about what are the police doing and what's the how, the, how is the investigation going? Yeah. So, so this case has put new attention on two other deaths within the past six years that are in one way or another connected to the family, right? One is a young woman, 19-year-old Mallory Beach, who died in a boating accident with Paul Murdaugh. Uh, He was driving drunk. She was a passenger and died as a result of the accident. And the 22-year-old was actually out on bail at the time of his death. So what do we know about that case? So that one is the one that's the most closely identified with the family at the moment. You know, Mallory Beach was a friend of, of Paul Murdaugh's and they went boating on a Saturday, which, you know, when you're young and you have money, that sounds like a lot of fun to do. But what we do know is that police say that there was alcohol on the boat and that everybody got drunk, including Paul Murdaugh, who they say was driving the the boat. Uh, okay. you know, there are legal limits for operating a boat just like there are with a car. Unfortunately, this boat hit a bridge pylon and everybody got injured. But Mallory Beach died in this in in this crash. And uh. so. Paul was charged, you know, um, he was charged with operating the vehicle, you know, under uh, under the influence, you know, and he was facing charges in this case uh, when he died. Mm, Okay, And so investigators are also looking into the 2015 death of a young man, Stephen Smith, a cold case in a neighboring county. So how does he connect to the family? 
So we don't know exactly what the connection is, but the police have made it very clear by statements that they've issued that they have mm-hmm. found information at the Murdoff family property that led them to reopen this case with Stephen Smith. Stephen Smith was a young gay man who was found dead on the side of the road. Um, he'd run out of gas. He'd started to walk three miles away from his car. He was found on this rural road dead. And police believe that it was a hit and run. There is some mm. question about who hit him with the tire marks. Was this an intentional did somebody intentionally try to clip him, try to hit him? We don't know, and police don't know. But something that they found at the Murdoff family farm has prompted them to start looking into uh, the Stephen Smith's murder. And Stephen Smith was a classmate of of the, the Murdoff oh. sons. So they knew him. He wasn't exactly in their circle, but they knew him. Wow. Okay. And so I want to go back to these conflicting reports that you've gotten about the boys and their family and just the behavior of the Murdoch family. I mean, you spoke to one man who remembers them as kind and gracious, but a lot of people, you know, have spoken about them being obnoxious and being bullies. So how, if you had to weigh it out, where would you say more of the chips fall? Well, I mean, I think with all of us, if you asked a whole bunch of different people, what are we like? You know, you might get different, you know, different responses. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, you know, it sounds like a lot of people said, you know, these were Kids who were born into privilege, who never really had to face the adversity that anybody else does. And um, because of that, they believed that they could get away with a lot of things. They cut up at school, but still did, never got suspended for the things that they did. You know, they, they weren't necessarily fantastic students, but they still got into good colleges. You know, there was a lot of things that people said that they love to show off their new phones, their new cars, their new clothes, you know, just as you would kind of expect for young men who were raised in privilege to sometimes be show offs, you know, so it's it's almost like if you talk to people who were on their their good side, they would say, oh, these were kind, wonderful boys. But then if you talk to other people who knew them at school who may not have been part of their clique, they said, oh, these these guys were were tough. They were they were difficult. Got it. Got it. And so so Alex Murdaugh, the dad, I mean, what is happening? Where is the investigation? Um, and, and what's the latest with him and the family? Well, police are saying that, that it could be anybody. We're, we've really not ruled out anybody in this case. We do know that Alex Murdaugh and Maggie were having some sort of marital problems. But as mm. you and I both know, marital problems do not always equal murder, you know. So, you know, uh, and also considering that it was more than one person, you know, I can say that police have not ruled out Alex Murdaugh as having something to do with it. But right now, that doesn't seem to be their focus. Their, their focus seems to be that somebody else uh, came onto that property that night. That was People senior writer Steve Helling. For more on the Murdaugh family mystery, pick up this week's issue of People on Stands Now. And now, something to make you smile. That's about a literal smile on a fish. <laughs> okay, let me explain. On August 3rd, fisherman Nathan Martin got the catch he wasn't expecting at Jeanette's Pier in Nags Head, North Carolina. I know what you're thinking. He must have caught a gigantic fish. Well, 
That's part of it. (laughs) Martin reeled in a nine-pound sheep's head fish that looked like a normal good catch until he opened its mouth and saw rows upon rows of human-like teeth. You got to see this. I thought it was photoshopped, but this type of fish has and uses their human-like molars to crush its food like shellfish and crustaceans. And this dates me a bit, but the picture totally reminded me of my favorite TV horse, Mr. Ed. Hello. I'm Mr. Ed. The grills are the same. No one can say the fish aren't biting down in North Carolina, all right? Boom boom. <laughs> Have a great weekend. People Every Day is produced by Julia Weaver with help from Fallon Harge, Darby Masters, and Aliza Sessler. Executive produced by Christina Everett and mixed by Mary Dew, Bahid Frazier, and Josh Fisher. People's executive producers are David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. Special thanks to Nikki Etor, Will Lee, and the incredible staff at iHeartRadio and People. 